Cliffcentral.com. Good morning. It's time for another dose of Disrupt with Mpumin Tlapo. Welcome to the show. Um, thank you to our sponsors, T-Systems, for making yet another dose of the show possible. Today I talked to a man whose LinkedIn profile describes him as an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial leader. South Africa's country head of U.S. Corporation, Rombi, Mr. Leroy Ratnaker. Leroy, how are you? Good morning. Good to be here. Thanks Thanks for having me on your show. Thank you for joining us on a chilly winter's morning. Are you feeling good? Absolutely. Fantastic. Today we're going to be talking a little bit about Rombi, but um, overall the topic is around the Internet of Things. Um, before we get into the topic, I'm going to just go through a few statistics um, that I came across preparing for the show. We know, Leroy, that there are going to be, by 2020, about 1.4 to 1.5 billion um, cell phone devices in Africa. We know that there'll be 4 billion connected devices. So beyond just our smartphones and our SIM card enabled devices, we're going to have other connected things. Um, we know globally that, you know, in 2015, there were 15 billion connected devices. Um, you know, in 2017, there's roughly 20 billion connected devices. And by 2024, that number is expected to explode to 62 billion connected devices. And all of this framed around this topic of the Internet of Things. Um, so we'll get into the discussion around the Internet of Things. But um want to talk very briefly and introduce our listeners to um, the Rombi Co- Corporation that you are country head in South Africa. And isn't that including Africa as well? That's correct. We, we are focusing on uh, the continent as a whole. Uh, South Africa was uh, just a starting point and inception of our uh, interaction with the continent. And uh, we certainly hope to develop uh, our presence basically across the continent and, and share uh, the value proposition of Rombi to other countries in the continent as well. Okay, so what I understand, Rombi supply chain and enterprise asset visibility company, pushing the boundaries on real-time visibility of assets and goods outside the four walls, I guess, of the of the business. You've got patented hardware. I've actually taken a picture which will tweet of the Rombi device so that the listeners can have an idea of exactly what we're talking about. And you've got an array of sensors, proprietary analytics, predictive reporting, and open APIs. So all of these very big terms. Absolutely. <laughs> but we're going to unpack them over, over the next hour or so. Certainly happy to do so. Uh, yes. And I see you operate in India as well, outside of the United States. Um, so very quickly, where, where is Rombi based besides California where it was founded, I believe? Right. Uh, where else are you based in the world? So yes, uh, Rombi was uh, founded in uh, in uh, San Francisco in Silicon Valley. Um, uh, a lot of uh, the company's culture and and uh, DNA is basically um, originating from that startup mentality in, uh, from the Silicon Valley um, um, origin. Um, and uh, we quickly developed uh, a presence in India as well. So um, India and uh, the United States uh, account for a very large uh, quotient of our business and uh, a, a larger quotient of our customers. But in the last uh, year or two, we've grown uh, pretty rapidly, uh, South Africa being um, – uh, one of our uh, locations of presence. And uh, since then, we've also added uh, an office in Germany, in Mexico, soon to be in uh, in Brazil as well, and uh, um, a presence that's developing in Asia as well. So we're growing very rapidly at a very fast clip. And uh, we have almost 150 customers now across all these different regions. So uh, very um, uh, a very fast uh, pace of growth in the last few years. Okay, fantastic. And, and what exactly does Rombi do? 
We started out in that space of uh, uh, providing visibility uh, in the logistic space. So using uh, IoT um, um, based technology basically to provide uh, better visibility across multimodal journeys of, uh, of goods. But I think since then, there's been a lot of interest in using that same capability in uh, managing assets and, and providing uh, visibility around high value assets and their performance, a lot of analytics around how, how they're being used and, and potential opportunities for, um, for basically uh, better scheduling and, and usage of those assets as well. Um, and, and since uh, Romby is a IoT company, there's, there's been a lot of investments that we've made in the platform as well. So um, shipment um, monitoring, uh, shipment tracking and, and condition monitoring as well as asset management uh, is, is uh, I, I, the way I see it, two main use cases that will potentially expand to be uh, across multiple other use cases as well, such as uh, getting sensory information from um, other sensory devices, drones, um, um, other types of uh, video-based um, uh, 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 sensory devices that are providing video streams, etc. So there's uh, there's a lot of potential here that needs to be that that is available to be tapped okay. uh, over the longer term. Okay, so if I were to maybe break that down and simplify it a bit, okay, so we we've got all these connected devices. So Rombi is a device in itself. I can see it here. It's like a yellow. A box, I guess. What's inside here? This is this is an Internet of Things thing. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, uh, so what what is it? So so I'll, I'll sort of speak uh, first a little bit broadly, and then and then speak about the sensory devices themselves. Fantastic. So Romby, in a sense, is is the entire platform. Uh, so it is a software platform that sits in the cloud, as well as the, some of these proprietary um, uh, sensory devices. The B, uh, as you were pointing to, um, the the yellow device that you were um, uh, tweeting. Uh, a diagram of um, so in a sense um, the platform provides uh, that capability to to ingest data from multiple different sensory devices including the bees uh, to translate it to process it to share analytics and we are making a lot of investments in artificial intelligence as well uh, over the longer term uh, to provide uh, decision making capability as part of that platform okay uh, the device that you are pointing to is a sensory uh, a device uh, that is uh, proprietary to us. It, it has a lot of IP and intellectual property that we've invested in. Uh, it contains a battery that allows that device to uh, remain, um, you know, powered, self-powered through a large portion of time. Uh, that particular device lasts about 90 days, basically, before between charges. 90 uh, days between charges. That's correct. It also has a GSM module inside of it that communicates. Uh, it has a global SIM. Okay. So wherever that device uh, happens to end up uh, whichever part of the world it will still attach itself to a, a a network to a mobile network and transmit the parameters around its presence and the conditions around it okay. and then it has a whole array of uh, sensory uh, capability that's built into that device as well including a light sensor on the back um, it has temperature humidity sensors um, it can sense altitude uh, shock and vibration so all that capability basically is built into that, um, and that can be included, uh, you know, on your assets. Um, it could be uh, included uh, in your shipments, in your containers, and it it provides you a whole uh, host of uh, information basically around where that shipment is located okay. and and the conditions uh, that surround the the your goods essentially that are part of that shipment. Fantastic. So, in effect, it is. Um 
one of those 60 billion connected devices, the Rome B as I'm holding it right now, would be one of those. Certainly, that's a vision to proliferate uh, as many bees uh, as possible around the world and uh, to be used in multiple different scenarios. But again, I I, I would say that the vision for Rome is uh, that this is uh, essentially one of those types of sensory devices that we use to bring data into the platform. Um, we have multiple other scenarios that um, could uh, potentially exist as, as I mentioned, uh, video streams, uh, you know, data that's coming in from sensory devices on drones. Wow. Uh, it could be um, from you know, different. Anyway, literally. Yes, exactly. And um, we could be using all that data essentially to to uh, help customers make decisions around their business, around process excellence, how to how how to operate their businesses um, more efficiently, how to uh, reduce risk or mitigate risk around their operations and so forth. Great. So you've been in South Africa now for how long? Uh, it's coming upon a year now, uh, okay. and it's been a gradual transition. Uh, my wife is actually South African, and ah, we, we moved here uh, last year. It was an easier transition for her. For me, it's been a gradual one, uh, leaving behind uh, 20 years of my life in San Francisco and uh, gradually transitioning to spending more time out here in South Africa. Don't worry. You're going to love it here. Um, so far, I am. Fantastic. I am loving it, yes. And so in, in this year that you've been here, how are things, how are you performing? I mean, relative to the, you've worked in India, you've worked in Sri Lanka, you've worked in the United States. How's business in South Africa within the context of the Internet of Things? Are we growing fast? Are we making steady headway? I, I think in, in some senses, there's a huge appetite for what it can bring. Uh, to solve uh, really interesting business problems. So I, I see it actually as a positive uh, thing that there's, there's a lot of potential, uh, not just for our company, for other companies as well in this IoT space uh, to, to bring to bear some really interesting solutions to business problems in, in the country as well as the continent. So I think there's a huge appetite. Um, I don't see it as any different um, than, uh, let's say, um, life in the United States. I, in fact, think that uh, perhaps uh, there is uh, a stronger interest, uh, perhaps going from a place where uh, there's a lot of opportunity, there's a lot of uh, flexibility to, uh, and companies that are growing very, very fast in, mm, a, in yeah. a space that's still maturing. Yes. Um, and from a from a business point of view, are we seeing any specific trend in terms of the applications of the Rombi? So where's the momentum in terms of the Internet of Things? Is it in any particular industries? I know earlier on you mentioned quite interesting use cases. Maybe you can touch on some of what you've seen in the time you've spent here trying to grow the business. Absolutely. I think I think there's a, there's a lot of interest in the process excellence space. So I think. Um, we we originally pitched the product uh, with interest in providing visibility to supply chains around goods uh, you know that are being transported across the the world in multimodal journeys whether it's a ship a aircraft uh, or a truck journey um, on on um, land essentially okay um, but I, I see that there's a lot of companies that I that are thinking very creatively in terms of how the technology can be leveraged uh, for process excellence. So they're looking at uh, different scenarios, uh, like for instance, you know, how do I ensure that uh, my products, such as ice cream, um, you know, is monitored from an end-to-end perspective from the factory where it's manufactured through all the different uh, parts of the supply chain, uh, the distribution channels, until it gets to that end consumer, so that 
that I can manage temperature variations and uh, and yes, and, uh, and risk that impacts the, the the quality of the product and how can I improve the distribution, the, reduce the lag times, um, improve. Uh, 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 my operational efficiencies and, and reduce my costs uh, that are associated with uh, some of those lag times and um, goods that are um, uh, essentially um, that, that perish, especially in the perishable space uh, due to uh, longer delivery um, uh, periods. Uh, it, it could be when um, I've, I've seen companies uh, in, in the space, for instance, in construction, where they want to manage the distribution of uh, concrete, uh, you know, in a timely manner to the different construction sites. Okay. Uh, because there again, there's a there's a time um, uh, quotient that's involved in how uh, the, the the quality that's associated with the quality of that product that's delivered to the site. Okay. So that's. Uh, um, you know, concrete that's in a mixed format, essentially. Yeah. So different companies are looking at it, uh, you know, in very, very creative ways and trying to figure out how they can use uh, this technology to improve their business operations, deliver a better product to their customers uh, more efficiently at a lower cost, reduce their risks of uh, losing some of those goods, yes. uh, et cetera. Yes. And, and so is it this cross-industry that we're seeing um, within the South African context uh, in terms of where the, the opportunities are showing themselves? You mentioned another Another very interesting one, the healthcare space. Just talk to me about that. You mentioned that you know with this very specialized medical equipment, that sure. there are some use cases around that. Absolutely, there's there's a lot of application in the healthcare space um, as we see it. Uh, one is obviously in tracking very high value assets in um, the hospitals themselves. So whether it's you know um, X-ray machines and MRI machines, uh, even down to the wheelchair, uh, ensuring that some of these assets actually stay within the perimeters uh, that they're supposed to. Uh, State the geolocations essentially, uh, but there's also uh, some very very specialized medical equipment that move around the world, uh, of which there are I believe um, uh, fixed quantities and and uh, are used by doctors to perform uh, you know very specialized operations. And uh, these companies that actually lease them out want to essentially understand where these high value assets are, uh, so that they can deliver them in a timely manner f- uh, to the hospitals that actually require it, and. Uh, uh, our technology, Romby, is actually used in some of these contexts to track uh, those goods, uh, to provide uh, insight to um, hospitals as to where they may be located and how you can acquire them and, uh, uh, and quickly serve uh, the patient uh, that needs it. So I think there's some really interesting use cases that we had not envisioned that our customers are uh, essentially conceiving and, and bringing to us and, and asking us if, if we can help them solve it. So yeah. um, in, in a few cases, Rombi has been able to provide some uh, interesting solutions in that space. Yeah, and I guess that's where the magic happens with all these technologies is when the users themselves start to come up with unique uh, use cases that they would apply to that technology. Absolutely. I think uh, we go through different phases, and the first phase was to educate our, our potential customer around what we had to offer. And I think we are now in that next phase where they are starting to get comfortable with the technology and understand what Roambi can actually bring uh, to them in other spaces uh, uh, in, in terms of value yes. and, and improving their operational efficiency. So I think uh, that's that's been very encouraging, and uh, it, it opens our eyes to the possibilities of the technology as well. Yes, absolutely. Now, I just want to take a step back a little bit, and, and we'll come back to Rombi, just to talk about this IoT, you know, this Internet of Things. Um, 
There are many ac- acronyms currently, and you would know, and, and every new thing has got its own acronym or its own definition. But just broadly for the audience, the Internet of Things, what does this encompass? Well, I think from a from a very basic layman's uh, perspective, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, we're going from that uh, genre of the Internet where we communicate uh, as human beings on it to, uh, you know, uh, machines actually starting to share uh, data and uh, intelligence uh, across the internet and uh, broadly speaking that's what it is but i think that there's also a lot of uh, uh, buzz and hype around it but i think if if you look near term around uh, where it's evolving to i think that a lot of it is around collecting a lot of uh, data points from uh, you know uh, operation uh, operational intelligence from different devices um, being able to develop a lot of analytics uh, across a broad range of data uh, okay. types that are available, okay. and most importantly, uh, being able to build a lot of intelligence um, where that decision-making capability uh, can be provided uh, to to better uh, optimize the resources, to protect them, to reduce risk, uh, to improve operational efficiencies. Um, and I think that uh, there's also uh, a movement towards uh, moving some of that intelligence uh, uh, towards the edge, so as opposed to streaming a lot of that data from the devices all the way through to the cloud um, to actually move some of that intelligence to the uh, periphery, to the edge, uh, to can the you, devices. Can you just themselves. explain that uh, uh, in a bit more? So, uh, absolutely, absolutely. I think uh, from a South Africa context or from, a, let's say, a continental context, uh, you could have situations, for instance, uh, as in mines uh, where there's limited connectivity, okay. where there's a lot of rich uh, operational intelligence that's been gathered by sensory devices and being able to push some of that dis- the some of that decision-making capability to the edge where perhaps, uh, you know, there's limited uh, uh, capability of communicating that information, you know, through to the cloud. That might be an interesting use case. Um, There's also situations in logistics where you can build a lot of intelligence into the devices um, that are moving with the trucks, for instance, that are transporting goods uh, so that if you have uh, two or three different uh, scenarios that happen, uh, you could perhaps characterize what might might be, um, uh, you know, a, a risk situation or an opportunity to improve efficiency um, of, of that delivery of that good or to protect the quality of that good uh, that's that's inside that uh, vehicle. Um, and I think that using that data in an intelligent way at, at the edge as opposed to streaming that all the way, you know, to the cloud and yes. having, having uh, you know, decisions made, uh, you know, in the cloud. I think that's an interesting use case and that's an area that uh, we've uh, been exploring uh, as a company as well at Rombi. Okay. So, so in effect, the value is not necessarily in the Rombi device itself, although, I mean, it's a, it's a good-looking piece of equipment. <laughs> It's in the data that it's able to generate and in the use of that data. Absolutely. It's a, it's a very powerful uh, uh, set of technologies that we've built into it. And uh, we've built a lot of uh, uh, intellectual um, property around this uh, capability. And we continue to enhance it to actually make it uh, perform even better. Um, so I think... Uh, Certainly, the data is is the 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 objective to to capture that rich uh, set of data and and bring it back into the platform. And then there's all these algorithms that we use to to develop the analytics around that data to present it back to the user and help them make decisions around their business. And that's I think that's where the value is. Okay, and that will be the same for all other Internet of Things 
types of devices or projects. It's really about this big data phenomenon, which is something else I want to now uh, get into because in effect, when you've got 60 billion things sensing everything and creating data, um, the big challenge then becomes what do you do with it? Um, and, and how do you then extract value from, from that data? Um, f- from your perspective, is that an area that we've got enough resource around this? I mean, I know they talk about data scientists and, and all these other types of really, um, you know, elaborate and possibly complex types of functions. What are you seeing in that space? Absolutely. I mean, we, we have a few, uh, uh, folks of that nature in our organization as well. We have our own data scientists who, uh, who are actually, uh, building models around the data that we, uh, gather for our customers. Um, it's certainly an area that's evolving. I think, uh, there's a lot of interest in, um, in South Africa and, and of course the rest of the world as well around this space. Uh, so, uh, I think uh, it's it's an area that we continue to invest in, and okay. um, um, it's 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 something that uh, we see as exciting in in front of us, basically. Yes, yes, and and is this big data space an area that um, you know we sp- as we speak often about jobs and we speak often about you know local skills, and I mean it might be a challenging question for you given that you've only been here for a year, but I just want to explore the the discussion a little bit to say in the context of information needing to have context, a local context, is there then still room for local input in terms of that data analysis and interpreting what those results might mean? Absolutely. I think from a career perspective, it's a huge space that uh, that I think uh, even in the U.S., I think there's uh, definitely a shortage of those skill, set, skill sets, and I think uh, there's a huge opportunity here in South Africa mm. uh, for folks who are pursuing uh, their careers to to kind of focus on this space. It's uh, uh, extension of their mathematical skills and their uh, analytical skills, basically to uh, to embrace uh, data science as a as a career. Um, I think perhaps the uh, opportunities uh, are still in the nascent stage, yes. uh, but I think it's it's going to be much bigger over time. Okay, and and would you say that there's a need to have that local context in terms of the information, or is it enough that the models are built and then they'll kind of tell you what's happening? No, I think that's that's really important. I think to have that local context, so it's not just building models, but understanding, uh, you know, putting meaning to it. And, and I think you need to have a local context around it. So if you if you see, you know, th- there are certain. Um, uh, social challenges, for instance, uh, you know, in, in this part of the geography, in this part of the world, yes. uh, that you can better apply data to, um, you know, mitigate uh, business challenges. Uh, so I think uh, having that local context is very important. Yes, yes. Um, just another topic you know, on the data. You know, we had those big uh, ransomware attacks a week ago, which were global in, um, and really affected companies and organizations throughout the world. In fact, I read one article. They were talking about how these hackers were um, had held um, Sony Pictures, one of their films. They'd held it to ransom to say they're going to leak it un- unless they get a couple of million dollars. Given that you know these devices are transmitting all the sensitive data all the time, surely security becomes a major concern. Yeah, it's it's been a, um, a, a sort of a area of focus for us as well, um, especially since we um, are providing a lot of insight to our customers around their high value assets, their movements, their conditions, and so forth. So there's a lot of sensitive data that's being moved between the devices and also stored uh, in the cloud. So uh, security has been a, um, a very strong imperative for us uh, to to ensure that we 
are protecting that data, mm. uh, that it's not susceptible to um, any um, nefarious use of it, essentially. Yeah. So I think uh, that's been a, um, a, a very uh, a large uh, point of focus in our business as well. Okay. And it will continue to be. Okay. Um, and I think, uh, you know, as much as um, – um, sort of the bad guys, so to speak, have leveraged, uh, you know, this, uh, this area of, uh, new technology to kind of, uh, um, to, to create chaos. I think, uh, we've also, uh, Romy has been very successful in actually, uh, you know, thwarting, uh, some of the bad guys as well because, uh, you know, some of the use cases that, uh, I've been exposed to here in South Africa, interestingly, have been in the, um, the hijacking space, for instance. So okay. We're able to provide our customers a lot of insight around where their goods are at. Um, oh, you mean hijacking of like commercial vehicles? Exactly. Yes. Yeah, so these devices basically can be incorporated into the cargoes to uh, to to locate them to do quicker goods recovery. Okay. So I think that's an interesting use case uh, as well. So, um, so I, I think uh, you know it's uh, not necessarily that the bad guys have been able to take advantage of IoT yes. and uh, and a nascent area of technology to. Yes. Uh, to kind of uh, create chaos, but I think we've uh, we've used it uh, in some positive ways as well to to reduce risk, basically as well. Mm. But and what about? I mean, this is a it's a pretty small device. I can literally fit it in my pocket. You know, the question I have is, you know, the manipulation of these devices remotely. So if we're talking about, you know, these really smart hackers that are sitting mm-hmm. in unknown parts of the world, um, what, what is the ability to, you know? To intercept these devices and control them differently because, you know, and I'm getting into a conversation around we've got 60 billion devices across the world that are effectively going to be managing the way we live at some point, right? right? Because of the information that they'll generate and the feedback that will come from that information. And so keeping those things secure, I mean, I know there's use cases around lifts and elevators, the maintenance thereof, machine, farming equipment. So they're really going to kind of run everything that we do. To what extent will we be sure that, you know, the data that's coming back in terms of making decisions on managing very sensitive and life critical equipment will not be compromised? Absolutely. And not just from a Romy perspective. I'm talking about generally around this Internet of Things environment. I can't speak to, I think, the industry as a whole and and the efforts. Um, I I know there's there's some emphasis on security and especially given, you know, some of the recent – uh, highly publicized events in the IoT space and hack, hacking events, for instance. Yes. I think that uh, Romby specifically, we've we've invested a lot of intellectual property and a lot of a uh, lot of uh, detail into protecting uh, how we communicate with these devices and how how the the devices are basically protected in terms of uh, uh, not allowing access uh, from you know third parties essentially to. Okay. Um, to 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 basically uh, use that in information in an inappropriate manner. So we we basically provide access to the system through an API, and uh, that API basically has a lot of uh, protocols of security built into it. So that if you, if there was a connectivity that was happening between an enterprise system and the Roambi solution, yes, uh, that is going to be moderated essentially through a API that that had security built into it. So that's that's really a gateway to the data that's in those Romy devices and it has to be um, it has to be basically um, it has to pass through secure mechanisms so that's that's an emphasis um, that uh, that we have as as a company as a culture basically in terms of how we do business uh, with our customers especially as you mentioned since we are protecting you know some very high value assets of our customers yes yes 
Um, so now, Leroy, just to maybe take a turn a little bit um, to talk about you. Um, you're a very interesting person. So you were born in Sri Lanka. That's correct. Um, and then you moved to the United States. That's correct. I uh, grew up my uh, formative years were basically in Sri Lanka through secondary school. And um, I grew up during a time when uh, there was a, a civil war that was uh, emerging in the country. So my tertiary education, my university education, essentially was uh, something that I accomplished out in the U.S. Uh, okay. in uh, in Kansas. I studied aerospace engineering and industrial engineering. Aerospace engineering. That's correct. Okay. And um, and then I moved out to Silicon Valley. I found it quite interesting, um, and I spent the last twenty. Uh, something years out in Silicon Valley, developing okay. my career out there. Okay. And what's that been like? It was uh, very exciting, and uh, that's where I met Sanjay, um, who's the founder of Rombi, who's, okay. uh, who was a very close friend of mine uh, uh, before I joined the company. And uh, it was uh, it, it was a great uh, you know life out there in Silicon Valley. Very exciting, living in sort of the uh, you know in the center of. Uh, uh, you know, all the innovations that have been kind of uh, 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 circumventing or sort of uh, 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 spreading around the world. Uh, yes. You know, we lived uh, a few blocks from uh, some of the exciting companies like Uber and uh, Airbnb and so forth that you're very uh, um, familiar with, I'm sure, here yes. in South Africa as well. Yes. So it was, uh, it, it was a great time um, living out there in Silicon Valley. And I think uh, the move to South Africa was quite uh, unstrategic, actually. Um, I met and married a South African. Okay. Where, where did you meet her? In, in we, were, we were actually uh, Facebook friends for a very long time. Okay. And uh, we spent a lot of time in um, L.A. and uh, in Vegas and in San Francisco and got to know each other. And, of course, in Sri Lanka as well. Okay. And uh, we decided to get married a, a, a few years ago. And... Uh, uh, she uh, preferred to live out in South Africa, so my uh, my plan changed. Okay, <laughs> and uh, I found myself uh, out in South Africa quite unstrategically, and uh, it was a great opportunity for me at that point to, uh, you know, uh, bring Rombi to the African continent, basically to to help develop the market out here. Okay, and not just in South Africa, but also uh, we spent some time in Kenya, in uh, Nairobi. Uh, over the last few months, and uh, we hope to basically uh, broaden that presence to Nigeria and to other parts of the African continent as well. Okay, and um, you know, being that you were born in Sri Lanka, uh, you moved to the United States. You cricket? Um, interestingly, you're a baseball man now. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that we tend to. Uh, you know, spend our lives following the sports that we grew up that with. That you grew up with, absolutely. And, and, you know, I didn't play cricket competitively, but, uh, certainly socially and, uh, so I still, you know, follow it. Um, and, uh, and I, of course, was more, uh, sort of partial, I guess, to tennis and to rowing. That was, that, those were my favorite sports. Ah, interesting. Interesting. And, um, I never really got, Baseball and football, to tell you quite American football, to tell you quite frankly. So uh, I've been in the U.S. for twenty something years. And still I don't st- understand it. I still don't completely understand it. I watch it, but I don't. You know, I'm not. Uh, I don't follow it actively. So it's interesting that you kind of stay with those childhood sports uh, throughout your life. Mm. So on this show, as you know, we talk about disruption and um, and disruption, not necessarily just you know from a technology point of view, but also about the person. So, I mean. In your world, having studied, um, you know, aerospace engineering, were you always trying to take a disruptive approach to life? What was your thinking going into that field at the time? Well, I think, uh, 
It was certainly uh, looking for something different. My my father was a airline pilot. He flew 747s uh, for the most part of his life. Oh, and, wow. um, that was certainly an easy career path for me to follow. But I was looking for something different, for something, uh, you know, um, a, a little bit, you know, uh, deeper in that uh, uh, in that field. And uh, aerospace was certainly the the area that I decided to go into. But then once I sort of got into it, I realized that it was not just one discrete thing. Aerospace is uh, made up of, you know, mathematical models. It's uh, programming. We, we did a lot of uh, coding, basically, for okay. uh, uh, numerical methods and, you know, understanding how how air flows over different surfaces and so forth. And that exposed me to the world of computing. And uh, I took those computing skills to my career, basically, in Silicon Valley. And I was a programmer. That's how I started my career. So you're a developer in Silicon was, Valley. Exactly. That's okay. how I started. And uh, that uh, took me to, uh, you know, uh, understanding how businesses work, process, um, how to engineer processes, how to help customers. Uh, I worked with uh, some of the large consulting organizations, Ernst & Young and Deloitte, uh, which kind of changed my view of the whole world. And um, I was exposed to so many different industries from telecom to manufacturing. Oh, wow. and it kind of opened my eyes to a lot of different things. So when I still visit some of your factories here in South Africa, um, I, it just, it's some of the most exciting, uh, things to do around, uh, understanding how they, how they do business, how they build a car, how they, mm. how they, uh, you know, formulate a product. It, it's, uh, very interesting to me. And, uh, and, uh, I sort of grew my career with, uh, I guess, uh, feeding that curiosity to understand how, how, you know, these different businesses operate. Mm. So you spent a lot of time in Silicon Valley. Um, you know, this term disruption is quite new, but my, my sense is that this disruptive energy has been Absolutely. in that environment for many years. Can you talk us through maybe the early days up until now around disruption? How, how does that environment, how do they function there? What can we learn from what's happening in Silicon Valley? How they go about doing business? Um, and how they go about, I guess, harnessing this disruptive energy. Sure, I think uh, that's probably built into the DNA of uh, that area. I mean, it started out with silicon, as you know, and that's why it's called Silicon Valley. Yes. And it started out, uh, you know, uh, probably in the 60s, I guess, when, um, you know, when um, uh, the, the chip industry uh, started out there. Mm. And I think that... Um, as you mentioned, disruption is sort of a, a sort of a newer term, but I think there's always that hunger to sort of innovate. Uh, that was really the. Uh, is it the, is it tangible? Um, is it tangible? Mm. In in some senses, maybe. <laughs> okay. But but I think it's 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 a cultural thing, right? It's a cultural thing that you constantly want to see how you can solve something. Um, you know, differently, okay. right? How, okay. how you can look at a different, a new opportunity to change the, uh, change the, you know, paradigm basically of how things are done okay. today. Yeah. So I think that's a cultural thing. And, um, and I, and, you know, I've been in that area for, I guess, 20 something years now when there was still a lot of agricultural, um, you know, uh, roots to that, that region and it's changed dramatically. So I think that, uh, um, it's uh, it's something that 
that I think has spread across the world. It's not now localized to uh, California or to Silicon Valley. I think yeah. you see that in India, you see that in Kenya, you see that in um, in uh, Nigeria, yeah. and certainly in South Africa, in, in Cape Town as well. Mm. You see a lot of companies uh, looking at how you do business and how you can do it uh, differently. So I think that has become sort of a more of a global um, phenomenon now and um, and I, I think that's exciting. Yeah. And and are there a lot of like incubators? I mean, I know it's quite a hot topic here, but uh, I guess what I'm trying to tap into is, is it a case of people just going about and just doing things because there's a lot of competition or are there things that exist which create that ecosystem to enable this disruption, as we call it now, to happen? I think it's uh it's a shift in people's perspectives as well. Um, and uh, I think when I graduated from university, uh, at least as far as I can remember, the big thing was to to join one of the brand name companies out there, uh, whether it was Sun Microsystems or Oracle or, or yes. whatever the case might be. And I think now there's, there's a lot of, um, um, I guess, um, emphasis around, or at least it's the age of the entrepreneur, you know, where, where there's a lot of resources for entrepreneurs. There's a, uh, a culture that supports them. And, um, and I think, uh, for people to think differently and to think, um, you know, how business, uh, uh, challenges can be solved in a different way. So I think, uh, that, that, that whole support system evolved. Not just, uh, again, in California, I think I see it happening out here in, in the continent of, uh, uh, in the African continent as well. Yes. I see it happening in India. I see it happening in Eastern Europe, in Asia. Absolutely. Um, even, even in Sri Lanka, actually. So I think, um, it's, uh, it's amazing and it's very exciting. Mm. And it's an opportunity for even corporates, right? It's not just about the entrepreneurial startups. Yep. I think there's an opportunity there for corporates to also look at themselves differently. Yeah, certainly. I think, uh, there's that, um, emphasis on being intrapreneurial, uh, within companies. It's intrapreneurial. Okay. Yep. And, uh, my last company, for instance, Visa, uh, in, um, in the Bay Area. Um, was certainly uh, trying to uh, stimulate that that whole concept essentially and, and develop it, uh, and I think a lot of companies are doing it as well. So um, certainly, uh, I, I see that here again in South Africa as well. Mm. Uh, to some degree, I see some companies actually setting up incubators, and uh, um, and Standard Bank, for instance, I believe has one. So yes. I think. I think there's a lot of interest uh, in in this area. So entrepreneurial meaning there's entrepreneurism entrepreneurism within the organization. Correct. That's okay. correct. And creating an environment where the staff effectively effectively become entrepreneurs while still working for the business. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's different models of it. I think uh, different companies have exploded differently. Some companies have large companies have spun off uh, ideas and businesses uh, out to the marketplace and you know with the um, option of acquiring them later on and some others have uh, you know um, dedicated fixed bandwidth or percentages of their employees time towards uh, you know uh, innovation and um, hackathons and you know um, different processes of ideation essentially to bring new ideas into the company yes so I want to now bring it back to um, the logistics industry Rombi and the internet of things um, if I look at a company like Amazon which had some $75 billion of uh, revenues, which essentially means probably, you know, millions, hundreds of millions of goods shipped all over the world. This is a very complex space that we're talking about where, where, where your organization plays. Where do you see it going into the future? 
I think, um, I mean, I can, I can see it, uh, moving, uh, in a couple of different directions. I think we are, our roots are certainly in the logistics space, but I think that we are making investments to kind of, uh, present Roombi as a IoT platform, uh, that's a bit broader in its application. So not just, uh, specifically restricted to the logistics space, but, um, it, it could extend itself to security. It could look at, for instance, um, you know, data that's coming from sensory devices in public transportation to understand, you know, patterns, real-time patterns of uh, people moving through public transportation and how to schedule vehicles uh, more efficiently to, to, you know, to provide a better public service to those passengers. Okay. So I see that we can potentially grow into other areas of, uh, of use cases and applications as well. So the, the, the space is fairly broad, um, but I think that um, – to some degree that um, the business that you win, the customers that you have kind of, um, you know, dictate the, the direction, direction you that go. you go in yes, eventually. Yes. Um, so it's it's a possibility that we'll stay very close to logistics, but I, I certainly see applications that are broader than that as well. Um, Consumer applications maybe? Any ideas around that? Certainly. I think, uh, as I mentioned to you, um, you know, we have the ability to, to link up with uh, sensory devices in multiple different contexts to process information from, so, from those sensory devices and develop a lot of analytics as, as an IoT platform. Mm. And um, an example might be, for instance, uh, you know, uh, your local bank um, you know, uh, brand essentially where, uh, we are able to understand, uh, patterns of movements into those different branches, how the branches are utilized, how the tellers are utilized, are they using, um, uh, you know, uh, devices or, or mechanisms such as ATMs basically to process most of their transactions and what's happening on a real time basis. Yes. And, um, uh, so I think there's a lot of different retail, let's say, consumer applications of that technology as well uh, that we are, that we are uh, interested in and looking into and uh, that we've been approached about. So I think, I think there's some interesting um, possibilities for Rombi in the IoT space as a platform. Great. And, and now, given that you know, we're talking GSM, so it's SIM cards, to what extent is the Internet of Things uh, space reliant on the network you know, service providers? It's not necessarily. So there are emerging standards uh, that are out there, uh, multiple other standards as well. Okay. Um, unfortunately, though, um, I think, um, you know, there's, uh, these standards are still evolving. So yes. there's multiple different ones and uh, Laura and so forth where uh, they are not uh, established as uh, as yet in a very firm way. And I think Rombi is looking for direction as well in terms of which ones will become uh, the more established standards for communication. Okay. And uh, when, th- when that does happen, uh, we'll, we'll essentially explore uh, using alternative uh, methods to basically communicate uh, data from, um, uh, from whether it's shipments or parking lots mm-hmm. or whatever the case might be to the cloud. Yeah, to, to because I know, you know, specifically in South Africa, you know, the data costs are quite high. Yeah. And so for companies, the more devices they have, obviously the costs come up. Absolutely. Quite significantly. Yep. Um, is that something that you, you see in corporates dealing with? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that certainly, um, it, it is definitely a fact that there is a, a cost associated with it. I think, um, one of the key advantages that Romi has is that, um, 
uh, we struck up an early agreement with uh, Deutsche Telekom. And if you actually uh, Google us on the web, you'll actually see that, uh, um, you know, the details of that transaction. Uh, Deutsche Telekom uh, not only agreed to provide us, uh, you know, a very favorable uh, plan in terms of uh, uh, data, but also uh, invested in, in Romi as well. Um, because of the promise that they saw in um, in what we were delivering to this IoT space. Okay. So I think uh, we have a few advantages in that regard, but I certainly agree that uh, from an industry perspective that it's it's probably one of the challenges that uh, companies have to overcome in terms of the costs of uh, communicating that data. And hence also, the um, as I mentioned earlier, there is, there is that technology being developed to, to make some of that some of those decisions on the edge as well as perhaps some of, some of that will help as well. Okay. So on the edge, meaning that the data would sit to a certain extent on the device well, itself? Well, yeah, there'll be larger devices that have, let's say, Rombi like technology in them, uh, larger or smaller, uh, that have that intelligence built into them so that they can make some of that decision. Some, it'll have that, those business rules built into, uh, them to make those decisions at the edge as opposed to, Trans, you know, transmitting um, large volumes of data to to have actionable intelligence, uh, you know, at the cloud. Okay. Cloud. Yeah. So, I mean, being that we're talking Internet of Things, I know then the topic of robotics, and very quickly, I mean, um, the robotics space um, vis-a-vis Internet of Things, is that an area that you've seen developing as well in terms of the customers that, that you're seeing, or are we still in the very early stages there? Well, I think uh, I can't speak to it in detail. I'm not a complete expert in the area, but okay. uh, but I think that there is some linkages. So basically, um, being being the fact that we we play in this logistics space and provide a lot of visibility, there's this whole genre of uh, Industry 4.0 yes. that's uh, that's developing. That uh, that's basically leveraging a lot of robotics and artificial intelligence, basically to run factories a lot better. So we're we're kind of uh, a part of that um, uh, sort of emerging um, phenomenon, I guess, of or, or uh, classification that's called Industry 4.0 in a very broad sense um, that uh, depicts what what that uh, next generation of manufacturing and industry is going to look like. So we are very much part of that um, uh, that um, um, that uh, collage, I guess, of uh, of solutions. Fantastic. Leroy, it has been really great. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. But before, before you go, uh, uh, three questions or two for you, which I ask to, to all the guests who come on board. The first one being disruption. I mean, we've spoken about it a little bit. We touched on it. You, you've lived through disruption, I guess, maybe at the cold face being in, in Silicon Valley. How would you define disruption for yourself? Oh, well, it's been a evolution, I think, for me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think I grew up, uh, you know, wanting to design airplanes. And when I got there and I learned how to do that, then I decided I wanted to, um, you know, studying computing in more more depth. And when I when I accomplished that, I wanted to study business process in more depth. And, um, and I feel like I still have a lot of entrepreneurial um, um, aspects of me that are still unexplored. So I think it's an evolution. It's a journey for me. Okay. Um, and... Um, I don't, I don't think it'll, uh, necessarily ever stop. So for me, it's, uh, learning about a new culture, a new geography, a new set of challenges, new businesses, new opportunities to bring solutions. It's probably part of an engineer mindset that I kind of grew up with and was educated in as well. Okay. So in a nutshell, you'd say disruption is about a continuous journey of learning, in effect, to be continuously learning and discovering new things. Absolutely. 
And you've been in South Africa almost a year. Um, maybe a challenging question, but your vision, maybe frame it from the perspective of, of the company, if, if you choose, or yourself. But your vision for the country and the continent in, in this Industry 4.0 technology-driven world. Well, I'd love to see um, us succeed not only uh, as Romi as a company, but I'd love to see us bring some value uh, socially as well. I mean, I think there's a lot of applications of our technology in uh, in the social realm. I was uh, uh, I've reached out to a few organizations that move uh, blood, for instance, in um, in uh, you know um, parts of the continent. Okay, I'm interested to see if we we can leverage our technology to better transport um, uh, pharmaceuticals and um, and, uh, and and blood uh, for instance uh, to to locations and, and preserve them and to provide that technology to see if we can actually uh, solve uh, the problem uh, in a better way so I think there's some interesting applications of our technology and I'm hoping that we can not only be successful from a commercial perspective but that we can bring value uh, socially as well to, to the continent. Thank you very much. Uh, Mr. Leroy Ratnyaka, um, bringing us today to the end of Disruptive Impulment Lapo. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to our sponsors, T-Systems, for yet another disruptive engagement. You can follow us on www.t-systems.co.za. Also catch another conversation on disruption with T-Systems Disruptors show every Thursday at 7.30 on CNBC Africa. That's DSTV channel 410. Until next week, thank you very much. Have a wonderful day. Cliffcentral.com